welcome to Waypoint Church Online. Glad that you could join us, whether it is on the online platform, whether it is on YouTube. Or you are here in the South Auditorium. You are very, very welcome, aren't they? They definitely are. Yeah. Um, so we just thought we'd update you on uh, a few things first before we crack on with today's message and worship. Uh, and that is, I don't know if you remember, but a number of weeks ago now, we decided to give you a roadmap about how we could gather again as a church. In the interim, we've been doing the access stage where on a Sunday morning we've been gathering to watch this service live at 11 o'clock. And it has been really good to see more and more people engaging with that over the weeks. Yeah. And uh, we also wanted to do live streaming or go to live streaming uh, by October, middle of October. We've had to push that back a little bit due to a few technical problems. But we're all really happy to announce that we're going to be going for our first Sunday live stream on the 1st of November. Uh, so, and we'll be in contact with you about how to book that and what we what you need to do as well. How, so don't worry about it, don't panic. But it's a really exciting next step for us as a church that so we look to try and gather again, isn't it? It, all, it is. We also said that we were hoping at the same time as going to live stream that we'd be able to start doing kids and youth work on Sunday mornings. We've had to, for a number of reasons, push that a little bit further, possibly to the new year before we can do that. But we are going to be doing something new, something exciting on Sunday afternoons. It's going to be starting on Sunday the 1st of November. We're going to be calling it Families Together. And it's just going to be an opportunity for kids to come along with their families so that kids from the age of 0 to 11 just to spend some time worshipping. We're aiming for a live worship band to be there with us as well and just having some fun, learning and praying together. As with the live streaming, we'll give you more information a little bit nearer the time on how to book in and how to be part of that. And alongside that... We are also uh, catering for the young people. So uh, between uh, four and five on the 1st of November, we're having our first gathering for young people in the old building. If you don't know what the old building is, like Panic, just tell up at church. And if you are between the ages of 11 and 18, you're very welcome to join us. Uh, we'll be watching the, the morning sermon uh, as a group of young people together and then having some hot chocolate and possibly biscuits and stuff. And just discussing the sermon, how we can relate to it and how we can apply it to our lives as well. Um, as the stuff in the other building is going on for families. So it's exciting, isn't it? It is awesome, and we can't wait to start connecting with you in these new ways. Yeah. So uh, let's back to today now. We're going to uh, just carry on with today's service uh, with passing over to the worship band who will lead us in a time of worship. So, yeah, let's worship God. A reading taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you go pray, Go into your room, close the door, 
and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So over the last few months, we have probably become quite accustomed to either wearing a mask or perhaps seeing other people wear masks as well. And so I thought today that I would do the whole of this talk, um, this next um, part of the Sermon on the Mount as we move back on to uh, the Jesus Way series. And by the way, thank you. Um, thank you. I'm joking. I can't do the whole of this talk with this mask on. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but I want to say thank you for those of you that have said that this, uh, the Jesus Way sermon series has challenged you in lots of ways and uh, it's been really intriguing to hear some of your comments, the fact that it's really opened your eyes to who Jesus was as well as he was talking to his disciples, so thank you. Um, but I do want to talk about masks today. Um, I've got lots of masks, I've got this one which is my favourite go-to mask, I've got a kind of a ninja mask uh, here but I often find it creeps up and whatever. Um, so hard it's to hear people what they're really saying when they're behind a mask. I've got this mask, which is my forgetful mask. I mean, what I mean by that is that I pick up one of these wherever I go usually because I forget to wear my other mask. Um, some of you might have your own masks. Um, I saw someone the other day with a Star Wars mask on. It looks amazing. I've seen someone with a, with a football emblem mask. I saw someone with a, a fake smile drawn on and it really freaked me out until I realised it wasn't their actual smile. Uh, and I actually saw someone the other day in a supermarket with a gas mask on. So, you know, cover all bases just in case, I suppose. Um, but yeah, masks. I want to talk a little bit about masks today. Um, when I was little, I used to love getting dressed up as Spider-Man. Spider-Man, what a superhero. Anyway, Spider-Man, I remember having a, an eighth birthday party and invited all my friends around to this birthday party. All two of them, no, there's at least three of them. And uh, we had the Spider-Man outfit on and everything, the trousers, the, the, the top. For some reason, I used to carry a stick around. I don't quite know why, but I wasn't fully completed until I had the mask on. And then I could act out being Spider-Man, cobwebs from the wrists, sticking on the wall. Hitting people with stick, they wonder where they're going from. Anyway, but masks, right? Masks, what? They can protect, they can, they can entertain, they can disguise. 
you know, and I want to kind of just draw on this concept of mask a little bit more as we delve into the passage this morning, because masks have played a major role um, even during Jesus' time, right? In Greek history, if you wanted to go and see kind of a Roman or a Greek drama, often the actors in the play would be wearing masks because the, the audience was set so far back from the actual um, stage that they couldn't see necessarily who the characters were, so that the masks that they wore were really ornate and quite expressive and exaggerated. Uh, and they were designed in a way to amplify the voice as well. And there was no female actors back then, so male actors played females with sort of feminine masks on. And so it was a, it, masks were designed back then to kind of hide the, the, the gender and the person that was actually underneath them. In fact, hypocrites, which is where we see um, the kind of the word hypocrites we get from today, was really alluding to actors back then. It was kind of um, two Greek words smashed together that, that said that there's an interpreter from underneath the mask. There's an interpreter from underneath the mask. Hypocrites became um, hypocrite in the 13th century, which is kind of like um, someone who pretends to be morally good to deceive others. And then we get hypocrite today. A person who, sorry, which means a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. Now, when it comes to hypocrites, we all struggle with someone that we know is a hypocrite, but often we can all be hypocrites. Perhaps we're not always hypocritical, but we can have aspects of our lives that are um, tinged with hypocrisy sometimes, you know. When it comes to others, often we don't like the dishonesty in them or the fact that there's a lack of integrity or perhaps they're doing something for selfish gain or um, whatever it might be. They might be manipulating people for their own good or for their own gain, whatever it is, you know. But at times we all struggle with hypocrisy, you know. We're all wearing that mask sometimes. And unsurprisingly, Jesus struggled with it. We see it in the passage. In fact, um, he regularly attacked hypocrisy um, when it came to people that wanted to follow Jesus, follow him. In Matthew 22, 27, uh, he attacks the Pharisees, the religious people, right? And obviously they weren't really following him at this point, but he says to them, and he says to his followers about them, they are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. They appear clean and righteous, but on the inside they're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus does not like hypocrisy, does not like people that declare a devotion to God, but actually the inward kind of uh, confusion is it becomes more about them. It's just a bit of a show. It's only when it really matters, that kind of thing. I remember being into a band called DC Talk um, oh, a long time ago now, I can't remember. Some of you might know who DC Talk are, big Christian band late 90s, possibly early 2000s, I don't know. And uh, they had a song called What If I Stumble? And at the beginning of this song, by the way, it's a great song, but at the beginning of the song, they ripped a quote from a guy called Brennan Manning, who was an author and a priest and a speaker and stuff years ago. And um, this quote from Brennan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You know, I remember thinking, I never want to be that person whose actions, perhaps on a Sunday as I stand there with arms open, they never match my actual, um, you know, 
my genuine belief in who Jesus is and that he, he penetrates way more my life than he does just in the church environment. I was preparing for this talk and I was thinking, I was trying to think about, I was trying to think of people's faces and thinking, would they be like, would they be that religiously hypocritical um, in some ways? And I think sometimes we do struggle with that and we'll definitely unpack, unpack that later. But I think 20 centuries on now from when this was kind of first said by Jesus, I think hypocrisy has taken on a slightly new face. You know, when I was preparing, I was thinking, if Jesus looked at my life, you know, and he had his disciples walking with him, excuse me, what would he, where would he go up? See, that's where Jim's been hypocritical. Or, you know, what would he point out to me? Where's the hypocrisy in my life today? And I kind of, I kind of want to not evolve hypocrisy from this passage because it's important that we, we tackle this and we will do as a second part of my talk today. But the first part is um, acknowledging that there is a chasm between what we believe and what we do. And the second part is the chasm between what we do and why we do it. So the first chasm, the first thing that creates hypocrisy in our life is, is what we believe and what we do. And the second hypocrisy that often we see is what we do and why we do it. And I guess today I want us to, to have a, a healthy tension, a challenge around these two things. Um, and there's a reason for both of these things happening, right? I think often what we, what we believe about Jesus cannot always infiltrate and penetrate into our lives in every aspect because of a whole myriad of reasons. Perhaps there's an apathy there. Um, perhaps we've become accustomed to just... I guess putting our faith in a box. We do that when we're at small group, we do that when we're at church, we do that when we're serving, but not when I'm at work, when I'm at wherever it might be. Perhaps there's an insecurity in the real world to show Jesus and the impact he can have on their lives through our life. Perhaps there's a fear of rejection as well. I don't know what it might be, but that's kind of like wearing a mask. We're kind of hiding who Jesus is. We're hiding him from the real world. And actually the real world, the secular world, are the ones that need to see Jesus in us. You know, when we hear those verse, that verse from James one twenty two, how can you know, how can we not just be hearers of the word, but how do we do, how are we doers of the word? I think it's about actually allowing Jesus to be a lot more obvious in our lives. And the second form of hypocrisy, which is in this passage, is the kind of the religious show. You know, what are we like when we're at church, or we're serving, or we're part of a small group, or we're talking to a fellow Christian, whatever it might be? You know, is it? Is it a case of, look how great I am, or look how devoted I am, or look how committed I am, look how, I don't know what it might be, you know, tired I am because I'm doing this, and I'm, you know, I'm doing it for, for God, but deep down there is this sense of actually I'm doing it because it fulfills something in me, makes me look good. I think often with that sense of hypocrisy, on the outward it looks really good, on the outside of it it looks really great, but the motives are really skewed, they're really confused. So again, there's a mask, and often that mask is hiding pride. There's this kind of outward religiosity, but Jesus wants to, to attack, if you like, the inward authenticity. Um, and he does that. He does that. And I think I just want to challenge you from the very beginning of this talk. Whose attention do you really crave? And I think if we can begin to answer some of these questions, 
uh, I think we can really begin to kind of crack the hypocrisy that we see in our lives. Whose attention do you really crave when you're hanging out with your mates, when you're at work, when you're in a particular relationship, you know, when you're on the platform at church, when you're whatever it might be doing, whose attention are you craving? God's attention or man's attention? Mankind's, humankind's attention. Who, what recognition do you want? Do you want to feel good about yourself? Or do you want to be acting in a way that is, is sincere, is, is, is worshipping, is giving worth to God in that environment? Who are you looking to please the most? Three times in, Jesus says in this passage, in verses 2, 5 and 16, do not be like the hypocrite. And I hope today I'm able to encourage you and challenge you uh, and create a healthy tension in you uh, that enables you to live a life that, that lives the Jesus way which is what this whole series is about. And the first thing, I kind of break it down into two areas. The first thing, the first area is method, and the second area is motive. Um, and uh, we're going to use these, these righteous acts that Jesus talks about, giving to the needy, praying and fasting, as a template in both those sections. Um, and what I love from the very outset is that Jesus makes some incredible assumptions about those who follow him, right? He says, when you give... When you pray and when you fast, there's no, there's no argument in this that Jesus is saying, like, if you fancy giving, if you fancy being charitable, if you fancy being kind and blessing others, then do it. And when you do it, do it like this, right? You know, he's not saying if you fancy praying, if you fancy fasting, we'll come on to the kind of the, the subtle difference between those two a bit later on. If you fancy those two things, you know, fancy doing them, you know, because you want to twist God's arm. You know, you want to make God do things the way you want God to do things. Or you want an answer about something. Or you're not, you, it's, you know, he's not saying it's about you. And he's saying, actually, it's when you do these things. When you do them. If not if you do them, when you do them, right? This passage isn't an attempt by Jesus to argue the finer points of, you know, if you should give and if you should pray or if you should fast. It's saying... No, when you do these things, as a follower of Jesus, you do these things. And there's a real principle that we can, we can pull from this or a template, if you like, that we can build into our lives. Because obviously Jesus is talking to his disciples at the time and they already have this religious structure to their day. right? Where they are fully dependent on regular interaction, regular communication, regular dialogue with God. An acknowledgement of who he is. And then their lives are punctuated with being able to share God and his generosity in those particular ways. So, for example, when it's talked about giving to the needy, they would have known that because they've been given so much, you know, as we've been given so much as followers of Christ, they, they've been given so much that giving, being generous, blessing others, is just an extension of the Father's heart. You know, can we be people that closes the chasm of hypocrisy in our lives by being generous, by being charitable, by being, looking to bless other people. I think as we do that, we begin to reflect the Father's heart in our workplaces, in our relationships. And it begins to kind of counteract this hypocrisy. Prayer and fasting. You know, I think on the surface we can go, well, they're quite inward focused things. But I want to challenge that because I think actually they are often the instigation of what God wants to do with you next. Okay, prayer and fasting are both active ways for the followers of Jesus back then to remain in regular dialogue, like I said. It was a great template 
as I said again, in Psalm 55 verse 18, they prayed at what? They prayed at dusk, at dawn and at noon. They prayed at dusk, at dawn and at noon. And this, this pattern set in the Old Testament days would have continued through. They would have understood the significance of spending time, chunky times of prayer with God, the Heavenly Father. Furthermore, Jesus, as we see in the Gospels, you know, before a big decision or an event, he would spend a lot of time in conversation with his Heavenly Father. They had a regular rhythm, a day that was punctuated with communication with their Heavenly Father. I went to Blessed Ministries um, a few years ago now, I can't remember when it was, um, and Blessed Ministries is kind of a missional community that is um, part part of the area, it's part of Normandy in France, and everything that they do, they kind of, they they do from a starting point of prayer first, and one, one afternoon when we were over there, there was a guy that spoke about the significance of prayer being the thing that instigates and pushes people forward into God's kingdom plan, and um, he said what he does, he takes the menial tasks of each day, so literally getting changed, doing your shoelaces on your shoes, um, brushing your teeth, um, sitting on the bus or whatever it might be, driving to work. And he uses those opportunities to, to jump back in to the ongoing relationship that he has with his Heavenly Father, right? This is not just the, oh, hi again, I'm going to sit in my office with God again. This is like, hey, God, Jesus, and so Jesus. I love the language he used around it. It's because what it did for him when he shared this was that it lifted his eyes to the bigger picture, all right, that God's got a plan in your relationship. God's got a plan in your workplace. And that you are being asked to join in that plan. And there's a call and a cost to that as well. But it helped him to, to recognise that, you know, I've got to be the salt right now. I've got to be the light right now. We're going to go back to previous uh, sermons in this particular series. And um, it wasn't, for him, prayer wasn't just this inward righteous acts, this pious act, this religious act. It was a starting point that enabled him to step out in faith. God, give me the eyes to see what's going on in my workplace and my, my relationship right now. Throughout the day, right? Throughout the day, when I'm brushing my teeth, I'm going to do that twice a day, when I'm doing my shoelaces, whatever it might be, when I'm still at the vending machine, I don't know. You know, praying is the oil in the engine that I think that can really help combat the hypocrisy that we just often get into our daily lives. You know, a few years ago now, we did um, it's a sermon series on Romans 12, and we looked at, we, we kind of hijacked that as a staff team, and every time, every Wednesday, uh, 12 minutes past 12, we got together as a staff team, and we prayed together, which was really good. And often in that moment, God would put people's, um, people's names on my, on my heart. So I'd go and text them or ring them, whatever it might be, how are you doing, whatever. And often they'd be like, oh, thanks for texting me, thanks for ringing me. It was just that time, that blah, 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 whatever it was. So I was able to pray with them. But do you know what? I think that can happen for all of us. I genuinely believe that. And the more we see prayer as something that isn't just this inward, pious, religious act, but actually, actually God, as I pray, open my, open my eyes to what it is you want me to do today this morning, then it begins to infiltrate uh, into our everyday living and it begins to close this hypocrisy of not being, you know, of, of, of kind of, of not always bringing Jesus out of the church place into our workplace or into our relationship place. I'll move on to fasting now and possibly fasting is one of the most neglected or unspoken about things 
Um, I reckon in, in, in church life, typically fasting in the Old Testament was when people were grieving or they were repenting from sin. But the Pharisees in the New Testament, kind of, they fasted twice a week. Um, I tried fasting a couple of years ago from playing my games console so much. And instead, uh, I just downloaded more apps on my phone and played my guitar a bit more. So I didn't really get the point of fasting. Um, but in this New Testament era in which we live in now, fasting is kind of a more um, concentrated way, again, of spending time in communion with God. And I do generally believe that can happen throughout our week as well. It doesn't necessarily be, need to be on a special occasion. Uh, John Piper says this about fasting. Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is, sorry, that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. So fasting is a way to express an ache and a hunger for Jesus more in our life. That come, Lord Jesus, I'm hungry for you right now. I'm hungry for you, not just to get my will in this particular thing, but to see your will in this particular thing. Because I want to be in line with what it is you want me to do in my relationship, what I want me to do in my workplace, wherever it might be. You know, for some of you right now, you're thinking, well, you know, do I have to give up a meal a day, two meals a day, not eat all day? I don't know. Um, I'll talk to you about that. There's some amazing research around that. But... Outside of that, it could be if you're the sort of person who visits your vending machine a lot at work or you watch Netflix a lot, you know, things that are of themselves that aren't bad things, they're good things, right? Nothing wrong with those things. But use that time when you're at the vending machine or don't go to the vending machine, use that time just to pray a little bit more because I'm going to give that part of my life up to you, God. And instead, I'm going, to, I'm going to be a lot more concentrated in my prayer in that particular time. The principle of fasting, um, I genuinely believe that concerted time, that really carved out time to invite Jesus to say, come Lord Jesus, will enable us to create closeness as opposed to having that chasm of hypocrisy uh, in our lives. You know, the more we spend, the more active time we spend with Jesus throughout our day, you know, just as the disciples had three chunky times of prayer, a couple of times of fasting going on as well, in a week, the more times we can actively spend in the presence of Jesus and we like we soak it up, we will just spill it out into the lives around us, into our own lives as well, a lot more. And I think as we do that, the masks of insecurity and fear and rejection and perhaps apathy or being about ourselves begin to be pulled away and we begin to show Jesus a lot more to the watching world. Right, gonna move on to um, combating hypocrisy. Um, in, when it comes to our motives, when it comes to our motives. And this is kind of the overt message that Jesus is talking about in this passage, you know. I, I love, there's a, there's, a, there's a version in Matthew 6, 1, sorry, the, there's a version in the message um, translation of Matthew 6, 1 that says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theatre, but the God who made you won't be applauding, right? And this is, is the crux that first that first sentence is the crux of the whole message the god who made you will not be applauding if our motives are not right if our motives are about selfish gain or to become more like a performance you know and i think outside of giving to the needy and outside of of prayer and outside of fasting we can add in things like church on a sunday not that we've done that for a long time but when we do we'll 
church on any day, whatever it might be, or serving in some way, or small groups, whatever it might be, you know, I think that's what I want to kind of pull into the picture right now as I continue with this talk. Um, back then, it was quite commonplace, <laughs> and I appreciate that Jesus spoke in hyperbole quite a lot. He was exaggerating, um, you know, kind of to make his point. But kind of the idea of someone giving to the needy and having someone kind of procession in with a trumpet playing first, say, look at this person giving to the needy. I think there's an element of that that perhaps we don't fully understand. But if we understand it to be a bit of about an ego about ourselves, we can play ourselves into that position. We can see ourselves in that particular part of the passage where perhaps over time, you know, our church life can become a little bit performancy, perhaps a bit habitual at times. I remember I've done youth work now um, on and off for, well, since I was 16. So whatever that is, 24 years, which is crazy, right? And at times it's felt like an act and it's felt like I'm just part of a play, um, you know, and it's been this outward religiosity. But again, Jesus wants to challenge that and he wants to replace it with inward authenticity. I would go a step further on this and say that doing the right thing for the wrong reasons is worthless in Jesus' eyes, right? It's not right that our motive is because it's the right thing to do, I don't think, because it makes you look good. It's not, that isn't the right motive. The motive is wanting to bring worth to God. We do this because we serve God, because we worship God, because we love God. And again, I'm going to use these three acts of righteousness that we, we see in the passage giving to the needy. I've said it already that Jesus spoke a lot in hyperbole. He exaggerated to kind of make his point. Um, but actually this giving to the needy originated way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy uh, 15 verse 11. We can see an example of this where it says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Right, This selfless act of saying, Do you know what, I don't need this much. So I'll give this to the people that need. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ring fence this amount for people that really need it. That was started as a selfless act. God's given me this incredible harvest of food, and so I don't need all this much. But I know people that do need this, and so I'm going to ring fence this. And lots of people would do the same thing, and they would give, and people would draw from that pot. Now that generosity, it was about really pointing to God. You know, God gave to man, and man said, All right, "God's given me this, so you can have this." But over time, that selfless act becomes more about, I guess, um, the giver and not the receiver. Have you ever seen a celebrity that's giving millions of pounds to a charity and then there's that PR stunt with the, the, the cardboard check, the check and the millions of pounds, there's a plaque on the wall or whatever it might be. And often, right, sometimes our giving, our giving, our charitable acts, our kindness, our generosity becomes more about us, it becomes more about that moment than it does actually what it means to that person and what it's going to do for that person. You know, what I love is in verse 3, when Jesus says, don't, you know, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, if I threw a ball at you right now, if you're able to catch it, you would catch it probably with both hands, right? Unless you're trying to be super cool. But you're trying to catch it with both hands. If you were to open a tin right now, you would probably, I don't know, use both hands to open the tin, you know? It's this idea Jesus is getting at, saying, you know, your hands are so used to working in tandem, you want to get to the point where you, when you're giving to the needy, for example, when you're being charitable, when you're being generous, that not even your, your other hand, which, which always works in tandem, which just knows what's going on, doesn't even know, right? It's an incredible challenge. And I think that, that particular action 
is best exemplified in, in the word that we find in 4, 6, and 18 in this passage, which is secret. Right? Secret. This hand is nice, it's a secret. What's going on with this other hand, right? Because secrecy is motivated by sincerity. And a sincere heart leaves no room for self-adulation. It's not about you. Sincerity should be the only motivation for our righteous acts when it comes to how we live out, how we serve, how we are, how we are at church, whatever it might be, when we're a part of our small group. Someone delivered a, a cake to us a couple of weeks ago as a staff team. It just on the on the tin it just said, um, thanks to an amazing staff team. And so all the staff we went looking for this amazing staff team, and eventually we thought, well, we can't find them, so we'll have it. I'm joking, our staff team are amazing. It's they're brilliant. Um, but you know, it was great because there was no name on the bottom of it. The person didn't do it to look super holy or be better or be be known. It just, you know, kind of that attitude of sincerity. It was given out of a sincere heart. You know, I'm going to jump back into the passage quickly because I do feel like the, the people Jesus talked about, the hypocrites that he's talking about in this passage, they're a bit of an easy target, right? Because back then, prayer, giving to the needy, fasting, they were quite a communal thing. I think now they're not so much, and we kind of struggle a little bit to read ourselves into the passage. But back then, as I said, they would have prayed three times a day communally, all together. They would have fasted on a Monday and a Thursday. So, and when they gave, as I said earlier, they kind of it's kind of this procession of look how much I'm giving, look how kind I am, look how great I am. So it becomes this pu- public spectacle. Um, you know, when they when they were fasting, they would really show on their faces that they, they were hungry and stuff as well. But ultimately, they were just masking pride. They were masking things that said things about themselves, right? And that's why I love that Jesus offers sincerity as the antidote to those three things. And he offers the same word to us in whatever realm that we are in today, in church life, in secular life, whatever I mean. Sincerity is the antidote to hypocrisy. There is this, um, there is this word that Jesus uses in 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 the in the prayer section where he says you know when you pray go in to room close the door but that word for room is a greek word called tamion tamion and it's this kind of idea that tamion this room that you go into the sincere room that becomes our motivation for doing what we do where we're not driven by fear or insecurity what someone might think about us or perhaps we're not driven by Ticking the sheet that I've gone to, I've gone and ticking the tick list that I've gone to church, or I don't know, I look great and so holy because I'm in the worship band, or I'm serving here, wherever it might be, I'm doing this talk or something. You know, that we've gone into a room first, that our motivation is out of a place of sincerity. That room, Tabion, is in Greek, it's a store chamber. It's it's a storeroom, right? I don't know what you think of when you think of storeroom, but I just think God has got this storeroom available to us that when our heart, when our motives are sincere, right? Wherever it be, wherever we are, when they're sincere, we have full access to this storeroom that God then goes, now, now you're using the rewards and the treasures in which you, that, that make that last, right? As, we, as you build God's kingdom and not your own. As you don't look towards man's applause and man's acceptance or ignorance or wherever it might be. Um, but actually, you're drawing from a place of sincerity, that storeroom in the quiet, as you close the door, where you can use my, my goodness, my blessing on you, 
And then I can use those acts of sincerity to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. You know, I think so often we are, of course we like to be liked, right? So often we're driven by what other people might think about us or wherever I might be. And so we either play up to it or we don't allow it to, you know, whatever it might be. But actually God's saying, no, a sincere heart draws on what I'm able to give you. And now I can build on that. I can do incredible things with a sincere heart. Let's be people who chase God as our reward and the things that he's able to do in our lives. Whose attention do we really crave? Whose recognition do we really want? Who are we looking to please? What reward are we really looking for? I think if we can begin to answer those questions, we can begin to combat the hypocrisy that we can struggle with. I was trying to think of a succinct phrase for you guys to, to, to walk away from, because I've said quite a lot. Uh, and this phrase kept coming back to me, and it was this, when you're tempted to show it, hide it. And when you're tempted to hide it, show it. When you're tempted to, to become all about you and to make you feel better, to make you look great, hide it, because that's pride. You know, when you're tempted to hide it, because of apathy or insecurity or worry or fear, show it. Right? That, take the mask down at that point and show who Jesus is in your life. And as we begin to do those things, we can begin to um, close the chasm of hypocrisy. We begin to live lives that are way more focused on the Jesus way, lives that are punctuated by sincerity throughout the day as we look for opportunities to be generous and kind, to bless, to bring Jesus in as we pray. You know, we want lives that point to the narrator of the play, not the actors within it, right? Lives that point to God and not ourselves. Let's pray to finish. Jesus, thank you that you are the example of authenticity, that we need to look nowhere else than just to you and your word and how you lived your life to combat the hypocrisy that sometimes we struggle and fall into. Lord, we are sorry for the times that we are hypocritical and we lift those times to you. We, just in the quiet now, we give space. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you, you give grace and that you forgive. And you set us on upon your, your, our feet again. And you can fill us with your spirit. Lord, I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit right now. We want to have lives that look the same inside the church context, whatever that looks like, to the times that it's outside of the church context. Context. Lives that are led by your spirit, prompted by your spirit, where we invite you, Jesus, to, to open our spiritual eyes to what you are doing. Lives that join in with your kingdom plan and your will within our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you feel challenged, please use the platform online to chat to people or receive prayer. If you want to talk to me or whoever, then someone else in leadership, please do that. Uh, send through an email and uh, we'll hear from you soon. We'll see you soon. Bye.